invites us into a story, a story of Jesus, disciples, uh, scribes or teachers, copyists, editors of the law, the crowd, and most notably a father, a father who has a son with an unclean spirit, a demon. Now, I know the existence of demons isn't universally agreed upon fact. Uh, probably some in this room, we have wide belief on unclean spirits, demons, right? Absolutely not a thing to maybe obsessive over the spiritual realm. Uh, for those not in belief of, of a spiritual realm of demons, I'd love to engage in that conversation sometime. For, take to, for the sake of today, we're going to hold true that the spiritual realm does ex- exist, that demons are real. So before we begin, kind of as Dean does, I, I also enjoy just a moment of prayer uh, individually and together. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 119, 18. Open the eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. So if you could take a moment, pray individually, wherever you're at, whether you claim to be a Christian, you just exploring faith, would you pray that God would speak to you this morning? After a short moment, I'll pray for our time together. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today and ask for you to speak. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see you clearly, to understand the scripture, to know what you're trying to tell us. Meet each of us where we are, Lord, in our brokenness and our joy. Would you speak to our moments of life, God, the only way you can. Holy Spirit, would you awaken faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you remember a time you felt hopeless? Can you remember a time you felt hopeless or doubted the outcome you desired would actually happen? We can think of trivial moments, right? A board game or down big, destined to lose, or maybe that prized possession on Facebook Marketplace, only to realize you're the 15th person to ask, is this available? Or we can think of very weighty, life-altering moments, right? The, the cancer diagnosis, the marriage struggling. A bully at school or work who makes you the punchline of every joke or, or every object that they have to throw. I was at the UMD women's basketball game last Monday. Some of you here were there as well. I recognize you. Uh, First time UMD history, men, women, that there was a playoff regional basketball game in Duluth. Uh, A big deal, super exciting. Packed gym, great atmosphere. With just over five minutes left, UMD was down 17. Now, non-basketball fans, March Madness, maybe your awareness of basketball has increased, but non-basketball fans, 17 points with just over five minutes is insurmountable usually I had very little belief UMD would win I was honestly probably ready to go home it was getting late by my standards they proved me wrong they won 25 to 7 points over 5 minutes UMD won the crowd stormed wildly exciting it was crazy madness so what does basketball faith disbelief have to do with Mark 9 as we read 
Our passage today will show us the many facets of faith and doubt. That's really our big idea or simple subject. I don't know the best way to describe it, but facets of faith. Kind of as we look at the passage, it'll show us many facets of faith. Uh, the existence of doubt and faith and, and everything in between. So if you remember one thing, remember that. Not as if that will change our, our hearts necessarily, but hopefully that will help you recall everything else we see today in the passage. Faith as, de as described by Google is our complete trust or confidence in something or, or someone. Faith is our complete trust or confidence in something or someone. For the Christian, our object of faith is Jesus, complete trust or confidence in him. Throughout their passage, we'll see a faithless generation, the power of faith, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith through prayer and fasting and ultimately the gospel truth and our hope that Jesus Christ is our founder and perfecter of our faith. The facets of faith. Let's take a look. If you want to keep reading, it should be up there as well. We're going to start again, go verse 14, kind of section by section, verse by verse. I'll read the first section here, 14 through 19. And when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And when he asked them, what are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Our passage invites us into the tail end, or starts with the tail end of another story, the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark 9, 1 through 13, it must be. Uh, it's a glimpse of Jesus' divine nature witnessed by three of his closest disciples. As Dean mentioned, right, we're venturing through the thread, one passage from one book, starting Genesis, Old Testament, now we find ourselves in New Testament. Not an overview of the book per se, but just one section that highlights the greater story, the story of Jesus. The story of God, our brokenness, his faithfulness, and redemption. So today we find ourselves here in Mark 9, the gospel account of Jesus healing the boy with unclean spirits. Also in the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew, not John, but the other three gospels there. So Jesus and his closest disciples... They were on top of a mountain and returned to the everyday life of illness, evil, and unbelief. In some ways, it mirrors the story of Moses, right? The Moses on top of the mountain, glory of God revealed, the Ten Commandments, and then he comes down the mountain experiencing the worship of Israelites, worshiping Baal, the disbelief. I picture a little bit this scene like a middle school recess. Some of you are like, I, I wanted to forget that time. Thank you. Some of you are in middle school right now. But right, you've got the, the crowd, the kids the, all around, the middle schoolers, and then there's these two groups arguing over something. And in the distance, you see the principal, superintendent, a few administrators coming. They see the commotion and start 
walking in towards the problem or walking towards the commotion. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And Jesus asked them, what are you disputing with them? So the crowd transitions from these two groups arguing, the scribes and the disciples now to Jesus. They run towards him. Jesus asks, what's happening? Why all the commotion? Why are you arguing? Verse 17. And one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so they would cast it out, but they could not do it. A key for today is the Father. So imagine yourself in the Father's shoes. The parent of a boy with an unclean spirit. The parent of a boy who does not speak who gets his body slammed to the ground, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes stiff. For parents or anyone who's watched children, imagine yourself in the father's shoes, right? It may be a little easier. You could imagine your child as this child experiencing the pain or discomfort. For all of us, what emotions would you feel as the father? Desperation? Looking for an answer? Fear? Will my child always experience this? Frustration? The disciples failed. Whoops, I dropped my sticky note. It's all good. It's not that important. Frustration? The disciples failed to heal. What length would you go to bring your child relief? You'd likely do anything, right? Anything within your time and finances. The father tried. He brought his son to the disciples, whom he thought could heal, yet was left disappointed. Even more so, his desire to bring relief created this commotion because there was the failure. It, it led to the argument we're reading about. So not only is his son still left with the unclean spirit, but now there's this argument taking place on why his son could not be freed. It's almost like you and I going to the doctor's office for surgery, uh, whatever surgery, ankle, knee, whatever it may be. Surgery's done, you wake up and you realize the surgery failed. Your ACL's not back, your ankle's not fixed, and no one's talking to you, but rather the doctors, the nurses, anesthesiologists, they're all arguing, right? They're, they're trying to figure out what happened, and you're just sitting over in their corner, hello, my knee's still broken, you're trying to find out what happened. That's the scene we're seeing. The father, the son, the disciples. I can only imagine the, the swing of hope and despair. The father's feeling. Seeing the, the demons cast out, or seeing the disciples cast out demons in the past and now failing here. Now the father returns to hope again when he sees Jesus, the great physician. So how does Jesus reply? Verse 19, and he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. In verse 16, Jesus asked, you know, what, what are you arguing about? The father replied with the issue, and then Jesus comes back with this. A statement, two rhetorical questions, and a command. First, the statement. Oh, unbelieving generation. The gospel of Matthew for this story says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. 
The statement's most likely pointed towards the disciples, although it could encompass the crowd, the father, or the scribes, but it seems as if there's this level of disappointment with the disciples. Oh, faithless generation. Jesus had given them authority over unclean spirits early in Mark chapter 3. They had success in casting out demons, but now they failed. They failed. Have you ever felt like you failed God? That God is disappointed in you? Disappointed for your lack of faith? Disappointed for your lack of action? Maybe inaction? For you to be disappointed in yourself means you may have trusted in yourself. Now surely there's godly remorse. There's grief and repentance and sorrow over sin. But our shortcomings, right, be encouraged. Our righteousness, our holiness is in Jesus, not in your obedience. Jesus then asked two rhetorical questions. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? The first, how long shall I be with you? Jesus declaring that earth is not his home. He longs to be with the Father in his eternal dwelling. How long shall I put up with you? A glimpse of Jesus' frustration with a disciple's lack of understanding. You may say, Jason, what gives? You just said that in Christ, God is not disappointed with me. But here, Jesus disappointed with the disciples, I think in part that's the point Jesus continually makes, right? That's part of the Old Testament we continually saw. He wants the disciples to recognize. He wants us to realize that we'll always fall short. Our efforts will never be enough. And Jesus finishes with the command, bring him to me. Let's continue on, verses 20 through 24. The power of faith, I believe, help my unbelief. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus, or and he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, From childhood, it has often thrown him into both the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. At the beginning of this section, we read about the unclean spirit seeing Jesus and attempting to afflict more harm on the boy, the demon likely knowing his time was short. Convulsions, falling to the ground, rolling around, foaming. For the people in this story, for Jesus, the scribes, the crowd, the disciples, it was clear this boy had a demon inside. It wasn't just a medical issue. It was something different. Now, it would be foolish for us to believe that every person displaying epileptic symptoms today is demon-possessed. That's not the application from this passage. But in the same breath, it's quite possible that some of whom we diagnose with physical or mental illness may actually be demon-possessed. Now, this isn't freedom to go around diagnosing illnesses as demon possession. That'd be really bad. But this story should create in us an awareness of the spiritual realm. 
awareness of demons, the evil presence. Some of you today checked out at the beginning, maybe like Mac when you realized Dean wasn't preaching. <laughs> uh, she said that to me, so it's okay. Uh, some of you checked out at the beginning, right? Uh, you, you saw we were looking at demons, the spiritual forces, and you, you think that's make-believe. You strongly doubt their existence. The idea of Satan or even an evil presence is just too far out there for you. Maybe your worldview is that people are, are relatively good, products of their own choices, products of their upbringing, their family, social life, whatever it may be. I think the conversation about the spiritual realm and the origin of brokenness is worth continuing. And I'd love to talk with you sometime. If you want to grab me after, that'd be great. I can guarantee I won't have all the answers, but I'd love to sit down and talk. This passage draws us to the awareness of demons. In Ephesians 6, 12, we read, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if I've lost some of you with the talk of spiritual forces or cosmic powers, would you come back? Would you consider how it might be possible, how it's actually more open-minded to believe in unseen forces, to say, yeah, maybe, you know what, there could be something else going on here. Let's keep going. Again, verses 21 and 22. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The compassion of Jesus. How long? How long has this child been like this? How long have you been trying to protect your child? How long have you been exhausted, anxious, afraid, overwhelmed from the boy's childhood. Once again, imagine yourself in the father's shoes. We don't know how old the boy currently is. We don't know precisely what from childhood means, but we can probably assume at the very least a few years have passed, if not even 5, 10, 15 years of stress, fear, worry, and not just fearing it, witnessing it. Look at verse 22. It has often thrown him into fire and water. The father's seen his child in water, in fire, destined for death. Frantically, I can imagine attempting to save him. Parents, grandparents, babysitters. Have you ever left your kid for a moment only to find them in a bad situation? A wall now covered in crayon. A tall table or a wobbly chair that somehow became the dance stage. My niece, who I think is six now, um, on average has given herself one new haircut a year. <laughs> Finds the scissors, like chop, chop, chop. It's amazing. She must really want to be a hairstylist. Leaving kids, very healthy and reliable kids. Alone for five minutes can sometimes be disastrous. Now imagine again being the father, a son with a demon, the exhaustion, the anxiety, the desperation. And he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us 
help us. But if, not in regards to the power of Jesus, but rather pointing to the Father's own faith in Jesus' power. Take pity on us and help us. Words of desperation. Have you ever felt yourself at this stage of life? Words of desperation. Or maybe you're here now. If neither of those, likely one day. The Father gives us real, practical prayer. In those moments of desperation, Jesus, take pity on us. Help us. Let's continue. Verse 23. But Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. In response to the father, Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. When I was in college, maybe my third or fourth year, I remember a distinct period of prayer where I asked the Lord, Father, give me an opportunity to speak about you today. Give me the eyes to see that opportunity, the boldness to share the hope of Christ in that moment. His faithfulness was amazing. I long for that heart again. I long for that desire. I'd be sitting in the locker room and some guy would rarely talk to their teammates, right? But there's 105 of them on the football team, so you don't talk to everyone. But hey, how was Bible study last night? conversation that maybe would have been easy to say good and walk away from now a new meaning in light of the earlier prayer right i remember a moment i was stretching in the the weight room and one of my teammates came up and said hey what does that john three sixteen verse mean what why are you asking that but in light of my earlier prayer it was amazing to see god show up in those moments i long for that heart again i long for that fervency of prayer to say, God, just let me speak about you. Let me share the hope I have in you. And there are surely moments that I got that question that I said good, and then I proceeded to walk away, didn't engage. We can take this promise, all things are possible, as if God is a magic eight ball for all our earthly desires and needs. But in reality, this promise, all things are possible, points us back to Jesus. In Christ, we are forgiven and made righteous, receiving the Holy Spirit, the same spirit, the same power that Jesus had. He's saying, by faith in me, you too can accomplish the works I've accomplished. Not because of you, because of me. How does the father respond? He cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. If you're comfortable with this, could everyone close your eyes for just a moment? If you're comfortable, don't feel like you have to. Just for a moment, close your eyes and imagine the Father crying out, I do believe, help my unbelief. What's the posture of his body? What are the expressions on his face? How about the tone of his voice? The picture can be so vivid. You can open your eyes. Oh, you can keep sleeping if that's what gets you. No. For me, I see a father in desperation, maybe on his knees, beaten down from years of witnessing his son be controlled by a demon. And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. When we have doubts, when our faith in Jesus is strained, would that be our prayer? I do believe, 
help my unbelief. The father declares his faith, I believe, and yet acknowledges his existence of disbelief or doubt. It's a statement that alone requires faith. His coming to Jesus required faith, or else he wouldn't have come. It's a statement that I hope gives us encouragement today. The encouragement that faith and doubt can both exist in the mind of a Christian. To faith, or to have faith and to doubt aren't inherently exclusive. There are things in this world we don't understand. There's brokenness that sometimes can't be reasoned with. Prayers don't get answered and we wonder why. We have frustrations towards God. We can question his love for us. Faith and doubt can exist at the same time. In the moments where we come to Jesus and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Finally, our last section, faith through prayer and fasting. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, they came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, why is it that we could not cast it out? He said to them, this kind cannot be or this kind cannot, cannot come out by anything except prayer and fasting. Jesus heals the boy. The disciples were confused by their failure. The father finally relieved. It appears at the beginning of this section, verse 25, there's a larger crowd growing into the addition of the earlier crowd, right? The middle school scene again. Everyone's like, come look. The kid's waving for their friends to witness the principle, the commotion, the argument, the healing. Jesus is noticed and, and takes action. He's still in the early parts of his ministry, not wanting to gain the excessive attention and continue his focus on his mission. Verse 26, and after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, the demon said, or the demon came out. The boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. It's not even certain Jesus helped. He's dead. The demon once again desired to inflict pain throwing him into convulsion, throwing him on the ground. Inflicting pain is all Satan wants. He longs to destroy, to kill, to deceive. Jesus has come to reverse the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of the human heart, of our heart, to bring the kingdom of God in part to earth now. The demon comes out, the boy drops. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Verse 28, when he came into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, why is it we could not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer and fasting. Just as we could see the Father's emotions, we can relate very well to the disciples at this moment. Confusion, disappointment, shame. Why could we not do it? Surely we've had success in the past. Why, Jesus? This kind cannot come out by anything except prayer and fasting. Jesus is connecting his earlier statement about a faithless generation to this final statement of prayer and fasting. I wanted to include the end fasting because of 
textual variance, right? Your Bible may or may not include it. Uh, the New Testament of today is very reliable to the original manuscripts. However, there are a few such variants like such or like such that arise uh, when current translations utilize different historical manuscripts. The ESV, the NIV, the King James, some of the trans translations include and fasting, some do not. Regardless of what the original manuscript was, I think the heart of prayer and fasting are the same. You see, the, the disciples were tempted to believe in their own power. As if Jesus, when he'd given them authority, released them from their dependence upon him. How could they? How could they think they had the power in themselves? We too do the same. As if when we're saved by Jesus, we're saved by God's grace, we no longer are dependent upon him. As if the Christian life is based on our own willpower or doing. We're tempted to believe that God's work through us or in us is really our own work. We take pride in it, which we should in some ways, but we believe that we're the ones that have overcome Satan, sin, and death. You see, prayer and fasting both stem from the heart of faith. Prayer, as simple as we can define it, the conversation and communion with God, a reliance upon God for all our needs. Fasting, taking our eyes off the needs of the world and focusing on God. Now, this is not just a promo for the day of prayer and fasting at the end of March, but both prayer and fasting take faith, a reliance on God. The disciples fell into the trap of relying on their own power. They thought they could heal without looking towards God. We, too, fall into that same or similar trap. We think we can manage our everyday or do God's work without relying on him. Jesus is not a magic eight ball who we turn to only in high stress or high need situations or to answer, gain little bits of wisdom. He's our daily bread, our life source. God said there's only one way through Jesus, not our routines, not our disciplines. Do they help? Absolutely. Can some of us have more faith than others? Yeah. But the source of our faith is our source of life, Jesus. As we turn to a moment of reflection and response, Luke's gospel interweaves this passage and Jesus' next, next teaching as one. Luke 9, 43 through 44. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while we, they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. All were in worship and awe of Jesus' healing. And Jesus says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered. He points the disciples towards the death and resurrection. Similarly, today, we too look at his death and resurrection, our hope and our salvation. So practically speaking, what do we do with this passage? First, three possibilities. Repent and believe in the name of Jesus. If you've believed in Jesus, then let this story be an encouragement. Encouragement for the moments when you failed. When I've failed, 
like the disciples, when we've fallen short, when we're tempted to rely on our own power, let it be an encouragement to look towards Jesus, the one who's forgiven you, who's made you righteous, called you righteous, not because of your work, but because of his. Additionally, for the Christian, for us, let us passage stir our hearts for an awareness of disbelief. Pray for a conviction of how you've trusted your own power for everyday life. Lord, show me where I'm not relying upon you. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus as Lord of your life, would you consider that? Repent and believe. Acknowledge your sin. Run towards Jesus. Acknowledge your need for a Savior, believing in him who's conquered Satan, sin, and death. The one who has the power to give a new heart, a new hope. A second response for us all, be free to address your doubts. Be free to address your doubts. I think we can all often feel shame in our doubts, right? Why, why, why can't I just be more confident in the Lord? Why can't I have faith like fill in the blank? In those moments, use the Father's words as a prayer or as a guide for our prayer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith and doubt can exist for the Christian and the one considering the claims of Christ. Our doubts are real and okay to be wrestled with. God has counted you righteous because of Jesus' faithfulness, not yours. And lastly, exercise your faith. I'm a football guy, right? Everybody, let's start doing jumping jacks. Just kidding. Exercise your faith. While we are counted righteous because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are still called to live the life we've now been given. As bodily exercise is good for the body, for the heart, spiritual exercise is good for the soul, for the heart. Establish a rhythm of healthy prayer and maybe fasting in your life, not as a way to earn God's favor, but as a reminder for our souls, for your soul, for my soul, that God is our one true source of life and power. What could a rhythm of prayer and fasting look like? Only you know you. Only you know you. Maybe you're a morning person, a midday person, an evening. Maybe you have short attention span or can sit for hours doing the same thing. Maybe you like to walk. Think in your own head, talk out loud, possibly journal using liturgies or spoken words as your prayer. Only you know you. We're all different. That's a beautiful thing. We're all different. Ask yourself today, tonight, this week, what does my daily or weekly prayer look like? Am I sitting at the throne of Jesus relying upon him? How can I establish a healthy rhythm of prayer in my life? with my community, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Prayer is a reliance on God and exercise of faith. As the worship team comes up, we'll continue our time of worship through the singing of songs and giving of tithes. If you're visiting today, thanks for being here, for making time. Please do not feel pressure to give whatsoever as the plates are passed. We're glad you're here. If this is your church, we'd encourage you to give as you feel led, believing that everything we have is God's, that we are stewards of his gifts. 
And now as we close, let the words of Hebrews chapter 12 be an encouragement for you and I today. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God.